0: Welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday, 8th September, with me, Ian Welsh. When I was in Cambodia recently, I was delighted to have some time with Say Samal, who has just been appointed Deputy Prime Minister but was then Minister for the Environment in the Royal Government of Cambodia. We talked about how the country is working to preserve its forests and the benefits of REDD Carbon projects for Cambodia and, in particular, for the indigenous peoples living in the forests. That's to come. First, though, is our regular roundup of some sustainable business news. It's taken a year and a half, but there is now a draft for the proposed global treaty on plastic pollution. The Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee on Plastic Pollution's so-called Zero Draft contains proposals outlining how we can counter the world's plastic pollution crisis through reducing production and cutting dangerous chemical use. Plastic campaigners have been calling for a binding treaty for some time. Commenting on the draft, WWF welcomed the treaty but urged for a real change in ambition. In its current form, the treaty contains options for action and WWF calls for countries to opt for the strongest possible measures and not compromise on weaker options, and for a globally binding treaty with bans on high-risk single-use products. The focus on plastic reduction is significant, as the OECD has estimated that current plastic producer plans would lead to 44 million tonnes of plastic waste every year by 2060, up from 22 million tonnes in 2019. The draft treaty's options for cutting plastic production include having countries set targets, banning certain plastic types, removing subsidies and introducing plastic taxes. There is a focus on eliminating microplastics and suggestions for how to reuse, repair, repurpose and refurbish plastic products. The treaty also contains proposals to control some of the 13,000 chemicals used in plastic production through greater transparency and restrictions on export of materials containing the most dangerous substances. The treaty will be discussed in detail at the next round of negotiations in Nairobi, Kenya in November. New research from Boston Consulting Group says that there is an investment shortfall of $18 trillion if the planet is to meet the necessary energy transition by 2030 to be on track for net zero emissions. A total of $37 trillion of investment is required, and Boston Consulting Group's Centre for Energy Impact has found $19 trillion of commitment so far. Unsurprisingly, the report cautions that the pace of fossil fuel phase-out is too slow, calling instead for a massive acceleration. Five levers are identified that can help drive the transition. Increasing efficiency, electrification of transportation and heating, power supply decarbonisation, switching to lower carbon fuels as an interim measure where essential, and developing carbon capture and storage. There is a lot to do. On energy supply alone, the report says that renewable and low-carbon sources of power need to increase from 12% of global energy supply in 2021 up to 70% by 2050. A potential energy supply crunch is looming. Net zero scenarios call for fossil fuel use to decrease by up to 80% by 2030, but the current low-carbon alternatives will not as yet be able to meet the increased demand. The G20 group of nations collectively lacks the nature-based policies required to hit global biodiversity targets, according to new research from CDP. The Global Biodiversity Framework requires that companies disclose their risks and impacts on biodiversity by 2030. Only Brazil, Indonesia and the EU have put in place biodiversity-related disclosure rules. CDP notes that while there has been significant movement on climate-related financial disclosure over recent years, a lack of ambition on nature and biodiversity remains. The organisation has found more progress on water, but still only eight out of 20 G20 members have disclosure regulations in place. Coming up now is a conversation I had recently when I was in Phnom Penh with His Excellency Dr. C Samal. When we spoke, Dr. C was in his previous post of Environment Minister, which he had held for 10 years, before very recently being appointed Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Land Management, Urban Planning and Construction. I started by asking him the approach Cambodia is taking to preserve its forests and develop REDD Plus carbon projects.
1: Uh, opportunity, first of all. If you look at that question, I think you have to look at the context where Cambodia is coming from. The first context I'd like to share with you is that Cambodian society, uh, the society that you see right now, is a rebuilt society. Remember that we have risen from the ash of war, mountain of bones, uh, river of blood, right? The Khmer Rouge literally decimated our society. So everything we is from nothing, from zero, right? So that's one context, and that's not long ago, right? The second contact, if you look at our society between 2009 and 2019, after we attained peace and stability, we have a sustained economic growth for the last two decades before the COVID. Right? If you look at that, first thing that you see, we move from dependent on natural resources, subsistence agriculture, to family scale, to mechanized agriculture. And now we diversify to not just rye productions, we have a cash crop production, we have a softwood industry, we have others, farm, more mechanized, more organized and ensure optimal production, right? If you look at our industry, we have government industry, we have a car assembling industry, we got bicycle, we got high tech industries taking root in Cambodia. Look at construction sectors, before we just build basic road, we have to depend on foreign aids and experts, now we're able to do it ourselves. If you look at another sector, tourism, we move from mass tourism to Cambodia to a more mature niche tourist. So all these sectors help. Another thing is banking sectors also fuel all this industry, right? Can we have become a middle class society? So that's, for me, it's a cornerstone where we can develop Red Plus project here in Cambodia. It's time for us not to lock our forests anymore, right? There are opportunities we can do something else. Cambodia today is not Cambodian 10, 20 years ago. We are a different Cambodia. If you look at Sea Game opening here a couple of weeks ago, you see that we are a new Cambodia, right? I devised our strategy that we should go for Red Plus project. Why don't we keep our forest standing and earn money at the same time? And it worked. People like Evelyn come who got very interested and make things happen and realize our strategy here here in Cambodia. I might add that it fit very well into our strategy. Peace, stability, sustained economic growth, macroeconomy on that level. But for us we need to move below layer of our society. So we use money from Red Plus to do ecotourism, improve livelihoods, build community economy, make sure kids can go to school. Green finance has helped to finance community business and also helped to enhance agriculture, make it more efficient and optimal production at the local level. And for us, that's the jackpot. Our idea is if they have strong livelihoods, so that they can protect the remaining biodiversity here in Cambodia.
0: So how is Red Plus, or how much is it part of your strategy to work towards Cambodia's Paris Accord commitments?
1: That's Article 6. We basically answer to Article 6. We're happy that we partner like Evelyn and that we're able to accomplish this.
0: Let's go into some of the detail you mentioned just now. Why do you think that a partnership approach is important for these REDD+, projects?
1: We cannot do it alone. We have to partner with people like Avalanche and also partner with UN agencies and private enterprise and also individual philanthropy from all over the world. And
0: when the projects are being developed, how do you think the national Cambodian interests and local
1: interests and incentives can best be aligned? The money we earn from Red Plus, go to school, infrastructure at local level, human resource developments, uh, clean water think that will help to sustain a local economy, not just for the near future, but for the long term. We want to create an economy at a local level that can sustain job creation for a long time to come.
0: How does the Ministry of the Environment benefit from Red Plus projects here in Cambodia?
1: Our interest is that our people at a local level, which depend on biodiversity wealth, don't depend on that anymore. They depend on something else.
0: And there is also, as I understand it, there's a share of revenue comes to the, for the Ministry of Environment's work as well.
1: Exactly. And also help to lift our image in the international community as well.
0: You've been Minister for some time. Ten and years. Why was responsibility for forest protection transferred to the Ministry of Environment from the Ministry of Agriculture in 2016?
1: Not exactly. Here in our system, in Cambodia, there are protected areas within our mandate. At the Ministry of Agriculture, they have two mandates. One mandate is agricultures and then the other mandate for them is also protection. The government decided in around 2015 that say look the Ministry of Agriculture should focus on agriculture and the protections of our remaining biodiversity should be the Ministry of Environment.
0: Why do you think it's important that local indigenous peoples properly benefit from protecting
1: their forests? It's not just the uh, indigenous people. We are a multicultural society, you know. We're a very uh, tolerant society, very open society, which uh, I don't think many you see across the world, right? The benefit, the money, finance that we got from Red Plus, they will get benefit from that as so. well.
0: From what I've seen in Cambodia this week, I've been traveling looking at Red Plus projects. I've seen that protection and enforcement of that is very important. What more do you think that the Ministry of Environment can do to help the indigenous communities protect their forests?
1: Firstly, it's rule and regulations. There are existing law, and even our environmental code which will be tabled with the parliament in a few days' time. Specifically designed to protect cultural heritage, protect way of life of indigenous people here in Cambodia. On a practical level, our government has been and always been paying very close attention and put all the resources for our community to protect their culture, their way of life. But at the same time, we need to be able to let them integrate with the rest of the society as well. If you look at our law, not a single article that will stipulate that we prevent them from doing this and that, it's not. It, you see, I told you, a society is very open, tolerant, uh, a multicultural society. That's our way of life, it's been all the way.
0: I guess re- recognising that there are challenges locally, I mean, yeah. inevitably there are. How does the Cambodian government influence or advise around the priorities for investment of revenues locally?
1: We have consultations with communities, with local government and national government. My job, at the national level, we coordinate between the local community and local government. What is their priority? What they want. But while at the same time we also intervene, there, there should be schools, there should be clinics, they should have clean water, we should get rid of malaria here in Cambodia, in their community. That's other thing we do as well. And we use this money to do it.
0: Yeah, It became very clear to me that it's not just, it can't just be a question of saying here's some money, it's be a question of helping people to realise the best benefit of that money. So we're thinking about that then, and when we are looking at investments, how do you, you your colleagues, and other layers of government ensure that, that the rights for indigenous peoples are held and, and respected?
1: I don't think it's an issue for us. Often people will raise the question you just raised. But for us, it's not an issue. Because, it, like I said, we are a tolerant, open, and multicultural society. That's, yeah.
0: Someone asked me when I was in the projects. Is there anything that the government can do, for example, to speed up the indigenous community land title process? Is that the sort of thing that can be done to just to move things along?
1: Don't get me wrong. Land title has all been given up. Our government is very clear, crystal clear. We have recognized of all indigenous people here in Cambodia, of all community. Different ethnic group we have, the government has recognized that. Central government, what do you do
0: to help establish the boundaries and maintain the protected areas? I've, I've visited them, and there, you know, there's a lot of work going on there. But
1: what do you do to help? The protected area established in 1993, the first uh, 23. Now we have got 74. We have readjusted, we have fine line everything now. It, of all the boundary of protected area, uh, has clearly established, and we registered all the protected areas. It's safe.
0: We talked about. Carbon markets and, and we talked briefly about the Paris Accord. How do you see the potential for biodiversity
1: markets developing? It strikes me this could be another big issue for Cambodia. Do you think it's gonna be a move away from a strictly carbon Cambodia is a middle class society now. Living standard has improved, well educated, well informed. So make my job a lot, a lot easier. They understand. For example, Mekong Rivers and Telesap generate about two billion of fishery resources for Cambodian societies. Our coastal province, about another two billion uh, for them. Can we understand these are the protected area that will have to sustain their way of life, their cultures, their economy. I think that is a big plus. We come to terms with that. Before, we, we didn't really see that. But now, we see that.
0: Now, Red Plus Projects, they've shown international companies that Cambodia is a place they can do business. How does the government plan to capitalise on that?
1: We have already capitalised on that, but uh, we're looking for more to come. We have proven to the world that it's most important, the local people here, and our government have recognised that it is one of the ways that we earn revenue for Cambodia. We also consider that, recognise that part of our economic development as well. So I think this is a big plus, which uh, you wouldn't be able to think about it 10 years ago. Just feel that there's a lot happening here, for sure. Let's think a bit about the future.
0: Are there plans for more RED+ Plus projects in Cambodia?
1: Right now, we use nat- native forest. There are mangrove forests, which is a big sink of carbon here in Cambodia, uh, both a freshwater and marine system, and also our orchards across Cambodia also attain a lot of uh, carbon in that as well. So we need to calculate at different scale as well and different type of farming here in Cambodia or different type of forests, right? Here we even have grassland, but re- and, and those are the type of grassland that retain a lot of uh, carbon as well.
0: There are some really exciting things happening with the Red Plus and the Red Plus methodologies that can be
1: transferred elsewhere. Yeah. I
0: mean, what are your hopes for the future then? What are your hopes for red plus and other environmental
1: issues here? No, in I hope for a prosperous Cambodia. I think I'm lucky and grateful that I see a new prosperous Cambodia in my lifetime. As a young kid growing up here during the 80s, right, so you got nothing, because we just pull ourselves out of war, right? to be able to see a prosperous, a secure, peaceful Cambodia. What else can you ask for, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so my kids are going to be growing up in a prosperous society. It's not for us, you know, it's for generation to come. We want to see a little charming Cambodia in South Asia. right?
0: Your Excellency, thank you very much indeed. Oh, my pleasure. The Innovation Forum website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. If you've not had a chance to read it yet, I can recommend a new briefing from my colleague B Stevenson on how business can switch to a reuse and refill model for packaging. We'll be back with the Monday briefing next week and the podcast as usual. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh, and until next time, goodbye.